Welcome to Liberated, a Liberal Democrat podcast. I'm Laura Sheeter. This episode, we're talking about diversity. When I asked listeners for their thoughts on this topic, the range of questions and concerns that came back was huge, covering ethnic diversity, gender balance, sexual orientation and disability, both within the party and politics, and out in the world. There's a lot to talk about, and we couldn't cover it all this time, but I hope to return to the topic in future podcasts. Our expert guest this time is Simon Woolley. He's the founder and director of Operation Black Vote. He's been working to get fairer representation for black and ethnic minority people in politics for more than 20 years now. As you'll hear, in what is a very frank conversation, he sets down a real and urgent challenge, both to Vince Cable and to all of us in the party, to up our game and become more truly representative of the population of this country. Having been invited to many Liberal Democrat Party conferences, I've always, always been struck by, you know, you walk into the main auditorium and it is literally spot the black person. And I've always felt frustrated by it for a number of reasons, not least because when Operation Blackbird first began, you know, over 20 years ago, the black public at that time would seriously not entertain the conservatives, you know, the, kind of the, 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 the end of the Margaret Thatcher era, for obvious reasons, the proper, proper nasty party. But many felt that the Labour Party uh, were taking their vote for granted. And it always seemed to me that the Lib Dems should have come into that vacuum in a turbocharged way. Many of the policies at that time and still today were progressive, could have been, should have been transformative. But in regards to tackling the lack of diversity, that the party's never really taken the bull by the horns. And I, I'm not sure what's changed. Well, I think a lot of that's fair and true. And I stood up to make my first leader speech this year and looked around the hall and it was exactly as Simon said. And it is, it is frustrating. It's frustrating on several levels because the values of the party are very much about diversity and equality. And, you know, a lot of the, the big battles that were fought decades ago about getting rid of race discrimination and fighting immigration policies that were based on race and so on, the party was in the vanguard. We had a phase after the Iraq war where there was a big influx of supporters from ethnic minorities, and when I say particularly Muslims, and they went back to Labour after 2000. 10 mainly and we've never recaptured it and what's happened recently we've had a massive influx of new members uh, which is good on one level but as Joe Swinson pointed out it's drawn from a particular demographic uh, these are overwhelmingly people who felt very very angry about Brexit but they tend to be young highly educated middle-class, predominantly white people, and they brought their package of attitudes with them. Whenever we do, as individuals, make an effort, you do get a very good response. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I went up to do a, an event in Hackney around Black History Month, and it, we hired a cafe, and all kind of people wandered in who would never dreamt of coming to a Lib Dem meeting, but when we actually met them, talked to them, had a good debate, started to become engaged and we formed some good relationships but that is very very scattergun and it's often not followed up and uh, we are where we are we have tried 
institutionally to try to build up a more diverse base. I think we've been much more successful with women, we'll come back to that in a minute, than we have with ethnic minorities. And certainly the number of candidates tripled, I think, from ethnic minority backgrounds between 2001 last time. We only got one elected, that's if you count a half Palestinian as a ethnic minority. But, you know, we've got a long way to go. I think the first question to Vince would be maybe you know the Lib Dem and those that might be interested in this the first question to put to Vince would be why is diversity important why is having a support base important that that's diverse staffing and elected representatives because I think that that sets the tone for why you're doing this well I think having a diverse support base, candidate base, employee base is good because it's more like the society you live in and it's therefore politically and culturally richer for that and you're better able to understand the people you're trying to get to vote for, you're putting it basically. And it's not that isn't just about political parties, it's other organisations. I mean, when I was in government, we made a really concerted push on getting women on boards of companies. And actually, we got, after a lot of pushing and sign from me particularly, we, we got to the target we wanted to. It's all slipped away now because nobody's trying. We then launched on a comparable initiative with black and ethnic minorities on company boards, worked with the, the Equalities Commission, and we started to make some inroads into that too. But the, the reasoning is exactly the same as with a political party, that an organisation is stronger if it's like its customers or its voters. All the evidence politically and commercially is that that's the way you've got to be. So here's the point, what Vince is articulating, that it's not only morally correct, mm. but it's politically and creatively, dynamically correct. So we know all the reasons why these things should happen, should should change. So it begs the question, why hasn't it? Vince alluded to it in his last response when he suggested it was about leadership. When you had your foot on the gas with gender, things changed. So the, the missing dynamic with the Lib Dems over many, many years, clearly then, has been the lack of leadership that has cared about this enough. If when you put the foot on the gas in government, you saw change. It can only be that that hasn't happened when it's come to race equality in all aspects of the Lib Dems, Vince. Well, there is one practical consideration we're not taking into account, that in the last two elections we've been horribly in retreat. One of the problems we always had was that even when the party was doing well you know, in the period before 2010, we weren't in a position to do what, say, Cameron was able to do with the Tories. And to be fair to the guy, he did a lot to make the Tories much more diverse in Parliament by making sure that black and Asian candidates were chosen in white suburban and rural seats, and there's quite a lot of them now. Mm. In our case, we, we didn't have the seats to allocate in that way. The, that's not the way our supports accumulated. And in, in any event, mm -hmm. in 2015-17, the party was in retreat. We actually had some good ethnic minority candidates in what we would regard as winnable seats. Solihull was a good example. We lost it heavily, as we did a lot of our other target seats. So we're not in that position. At the moment, I mean, there are quite a lot of conversations with 
people who regard themselves as community leaders, particularly in Asian populations. Yeah. And, and the, one of the first questions is, well, what can you give me? You know, what can you deliver for me? Right. You know, if right. I come over to you, do I get a council seat? Do I get a seat in Parliament? Do I get a seat in the House of Lords? And I'm saying, sorry, I can't promise you any of those things. So, so I, I get that. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of wannabes, you know, wannabe councillors for prestige, wannabe this, that, and the other. That, to me, shouldn't be your target. Right. The, 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 the critical element is that surely the, the Liberal Democrat leadership should be saying, look, we have a vision. We have a vision for society that is inclusive, that is representative. Uh, and that means the issues that you care about in regards to opportunities, in regards to being respected, in regards to taking your place in, in our society, we will champion. So the first part is the vision. The second part is the plan. And the plan must be that I've been saying to you, Vince, and you know, I'm disappointed that I haven't seen this demonstrable change, is what is our plan to ensure that the Liberal Democrat Party begins to look like the people it seeks to serve, to, to want to represent? I can't keep saying to the leadership, look, show me your strategy that will recruit black and minority ethnic members to the party with this vision and not just what tends to happen. And, and to be fair to Vince, I say this to all the parties, by the way, He's very well aware of that. But to say, what is the strategy? What are the numbers now? Let's have an audit. What is the strategy to close these gaps? And I always get, yes, 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 we're thinking to do it. And I know, as a matter of fact, there's no strategy. There's an aspiration. There's a desire. But there isn't a, a document that you can show to me. Here's the starting point. Here's the end. And that, the reason why I jumped at this opportunity now, and particularly because you're a leader, I think it's always been on, should be on your doorstep, but right now, you've got the reins. What say you, Vince? Well, I think in terms of having a plan, a strategy, we do have within the organisation and with candidate recruitment, candidate mentoring, all the trying to get people into winnable seats. We, we do all that and we have metrics and there's progress. It's nothing like enough, but it's identifiable. And what is, sorry to interrupt, but this is really important. What is the percentage of BME members in the party? And where would you like to be having increased that membership, let's say, for the next general election? On membership as opposed to people standing as candidates members. and players. Membership, I, I haven't got the numbers, but I suspect it's about 3 or 4%. It's probably under half of the national BME population. I would be surprised if it's higher than that. Hang on a second. You say 3 or 4%. I mean, the, it's the well B below the It's average. well below. Yeah, yes. no, it is. It, <coughs> is, well it, it is well below the average. So the, 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 you know, the BME Men population. Membership, we're way below where we should be. I, I think what, what has happened, you mm. say that we haven't had a driver, a vision or leadership, but all of the energy mm. on this issue has gone into getting, as it were, our own house in order and mm. trying to make sure that we're a non-discriminatory employer, that we have... Mm ethnic minorities represented offices we do that we have diversity advisors and diversity officers that we have a candidate program and all the rest of it very little effort and time has gone into widening the base the membership base and, and that's critical it is critical and 
I think if you'd looked at our base two years ago, we would have a significantly higher percentage. But what's happened is that we've more than doubled our membership in two years, and almost all the new influx is a particular so even, demographic. So it's even worse. It, so, says it has got worse so as a proportion. So here's the problem, is that when you have a disproportionate base that doesn't look like the people you're seeking to serve, when you ask that base... That and you know one of the things about the Liberal Democrats is that you know you give power to your members, etc. All, all well and good, but when you ask that base, who do you want for you to stand in a mayoral election? That base too often, more often than not, seeks to select itself. People choose from people who they're comfortable with and are familiar with, and so on. It is self-perpetuating, absolutely. I mean, you pose the right challenge, which is that instead of spending all our time and energy making sure we tick the right boxes for candidates and staff, we diversify membership. Right. And that's what I want to do. And, you know, in the relatively short time I've had, I've just taken on board a diversity advisor I had mm -hmm. from 10 years ago who was absolutely brilliant at this. Let me uh, just say this as well. Let me just say this as well, and it's only because I don't get these these opportunities very often, so I have to keep keep jumping in. That you know, what's important to the audience that might be interested in this debate is that it's not. Yes, there's a conversation about diversity, but we are specifically talking about race equality. Yeah, we're talking about black and minority ethnic communities, because too often than not, when we talk about diversity. That tends to gravitate towards gender. It does, and that's and LGBT. And as you know, there are kind of legal powers you can use with with gender, which you can't use under this peculiar legislation. It's right. about leadership, but leadership has to spell it out. For this audience, it's look. I want to change the colour of our party membership. And so for you, Simon, does that start with local parties literally going out and looking for people who don't look like them, for example? Is it literally on that level or is it something that comes from the top down? Well, it starts from the top. It starts from the, the, the leadership. If I was Vince, I would call in all the party managers from all the local groups and I would say, look, it is lamentable that we are a party that seeks to be progressive, this, that and the other, and you know we are almost monocultural. We have a target, and it's not one that says 5%, 10%. We're looking at 30%, 40% radical change. Here's your targets. Here's the plan. Go out, bring in the new membership, inspire a new generation. What I'd be saying if I was Vince. Yes, I think that's something we should be doing, I should be doing. I mean, that is the message I do actually give when I talk to our regional conferences. And I did say in my first speech as leader, I thought we were horribly unrepresentative, particularly on BMA issues. We were making progress on gender. And I said as a party, we've got to do something about it. So I've given that call from the top. The, the issue is now following it up. Well, and the issue is not just about following it up. The, the issue is if you can't do it, you're sacked because you're no good to this party. I mean, you know, it's, it has to be as strong as that. That, I mean, you're not sacked as a party member, clearly, but you're sacked as an organiser. You're sacked as a, as a campaigner. Because Vince, 2010, Vince was a superstar on the Black Britain Decides platform because he spoke honestly, he spoke passionately. 2010. But one of the things he said is, I'm taking responsibility for tackling race equality. Remember that speech? Yeah. Uh, the Westminster Westminster Hall and we haven't spoken since uh, mm. 2010 and so you've got to convince my audience 
that when you say something that you really mean it well i spent five years in government and i think i and so what does that say does that say that you're going to spend five years in government and this agenda is going to be sidelined no no it, it isn't i mean i was as a minister i was pursuing this agenda not actually through the party but in terms of national leadership and i took on a whole lot of initiatives which were promoting diversity in my own department for example that was much improved and i tried to give leadership there but running a political party or being head of a political party is a, is a different job from being a cabinet minister i go back to your earlier point about sacking people i mean the, the problem, <laughs> problem we have is, is, is how do you make sticks and carrots work at the moment we're desperately short of field officers i've got to go around at the moment scraping money together to hire some more you know when we we've got them we'll you know you, you should focus on this community and that community but we, we've got to get off the ground before we start running and is it, is it as challenging as that well it's tough yeah because we've had two very bad elections and it, it's it's one thing to you know expand your horizons when you're mm. expanding and on the way up it's a bit different when you're trying to get up, up off the floor Simon could I ask you for people who maybe aren't familiar what kind of things Operation Black Vote does especially to encourage representation and candidates right yes well we celebrated our 21st anniversary this year and um, Vince will know I mean, back there I had no grey air uh, but we're, we're proud of our, our achievements in many ways I mean I guess what we sought to change challenge back then <clears throat> was to ensure that people of colour were afforded equality of opportunity, were respected, and seen as citizens that could contribute, and, and in particular to challenge the, the dreadful practices of the police, stop and search deaths in, in police custody. And what we said, you know, even back then, the way to force change was, you know, not to say please be nice to us, but to politically demand it. And so we sought to change institutions, and uh, the, the Stephen Lawrence inquiry helped the change in legislation but also to nurture a generation of leaders to come forward so we're proud that 10% of all BME MPs in a two-year period are now from Operation Black Boat schemes and magistrates school governors so it's about challenging the institutions political parties but also send to a generation that you have to stand up and be counted we're engaged in a black British civil rights movement so I need Vince to be part of that change. But I think you've been very successful on the police. I mean, there are still things you can criticise, but the, the culture of the police has changed out of all recognition to what I remember it when I first became an MP 20 years. And I used to go along to the Stephen Lawrence inquiry, right. and I heard what, what was going on, and, you know, and I recognised the traits in some of our local police officers. The culture has changed beyond all recognition, uh, as it happens, our local police chief, chief superintendent, is a Sikh origin yeah. woman, you know, which would have been inconceivable Transformative. a decade ago. Yeah. But the, the new challenges are upon us, and one of the things that I wanted to touch upon is not just the internal stuff, important that it is, but it's also the external stuff, and that Brexit has caused a shockwave on a number of levels, not least between this kind of feeding of xenophobia. I wanted to know what your view is on that and what was some of the reasons why people voted for Brexit? Was it nasty? And once that gene is out of the, out of the bottle, Vince, how do we protect some of the hard-fought equalities, particularly on the EU level, that actually hold the UK government to account? 
It's interesting you mentioned that. We actually had a listener question about that. One of the members um, who says she works with refugees, particularly from Syria, who said a similar thing, but from the perspective of, she said, you know, when you're bringing people into the country or you're welcoming people into the country, as she does for her work, um, how do you respect their differences while also holding firm to certain values? She said some of that, if you just, in a blanket, say, no, it's good, it's all, all diversity is good, full stop, plays to then other people on the other side who want to play on people's fears and xenophobia. That striking that balance is very difficult. Um, I was wondering, Vince, what you think, you know, actually how we can tread that line. And I think Brexit has produced and was partly motivated by some pretty ugly emotions. I mean, you know, there's a perfectly rational case to be made for Brexit in, in, in an academic way, if you like. I mean, I did, that's not my view, but I can respect people who have a different view about sovereignty or right. the economics of it. But what lay behind a lot of it was a thing about foreigners. In the debates I did around the home counties in church halls with mostly elderly people and white people, uh, who, all of whom were Brexit, it was all about what's going to happen if these Turks come and live in our village. And that was the kind of tone of it. And I think it was the majority, the majority theme that is pushing us over this cliff as xenophobic conversation i think that was a substantial part of it and there was um i don't i mean i don't i think it would be completely wrong to say people who voted for brexit are racist i mean i mean that was completely wrong a lot of them were nothing of the kind but there was there was often an undercurrent and i'm sure that helped tip the result the way it did but anyway that's history what is relevant today is that it has unleashed a lot of prejudice, which is not directed at East Europeans necessarily, but foreigners in general and people who look different as well as sound different. And that is very much out there. I mean, I have it in my own family. You know, I've got half Indian children and East European daughter-in-law, and mm. they're all feeling a kind of... For the first time? Uh, uh, not for the first time. I mean, certainly in my own family, we came back with my wife in the late 60s, early 70s. We had rivers of blood and Powell and all that. Sure. It was Anniversary um, next year. Very ugly, very nasty. Yeah. And But it got better slowly. I mean, there were yes. bad incidents and, and so on, but it got better. But in the last two years, years. we've gone backwards. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know whether that's permanent or not, but I think it links to your politics in the sense that as the one party that has been unambiguously anti-Brexit, <clears throat> Labour have wobbled all over the place, the Tories are now, as somebody put it, comfortable in their Brexit skin, we should be talking to and engaging with and getting support from ethnic minorities, not just Euro European Union nationals. I want to talk for a moment, Simon, you mentioned that often when we talk diversity, we don't talk about ethnic diversity, we ended up talking about gender, but I do want to talk about gender briefly largely because this was the hugest response I had online when I posed questions about it, particularly with regard to the ongoing and seemingly almost endless scandals that seem to be around Westminster about harassment and assault. I don't want to talk about any individual cases because it's not really appropriate in this podcast. But one thing, given how widespread it seems, the sort of Me Too campaign online, people's experiences, myself, Pretty much everybody I know has experienced it at some point. The idea that this might air a scandal without seeming to make the change that shows people that demonstrates a difference, that this is not going to continue in this way. 
uh, is a worry in the same way that people saw after the expenses scandal that maybe it made them think worse of politicians without making them think that something had changed to improve matters. What's at risk in terms of getting women involved in politics in Westminster and what do you think should be done to demonstrate change? Well, there have been, there's been a growing proportion of women in Parliament, and that is right. When I first went there, it was a totally male-dominated institution with all the kind of habits and attitudes you'd expect from that, and that has, it has changed from the better. Um, and it clearly needs to go further, because we've got, I think, less than a third of MPs are women. It needs to be 50-50, and we, we have to work towards that. And it, actually, it's in a way, it's easier with... Eth- than with ethnic minorities because you've got you can legally have you know all women shortlisted and 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 gradually mm. get to that goal which is what's happening. In terms of abuse, yeah, I mean clearly, I mean all parties have had this problem. There's no point trying to pretend that anybody's better than anybody else. I think what women can realistically and rightly aim for is to make sure that we have better processes in place so that when power is abused and here we're talking about the abuse of power Mm -hmm. people have recourse they have an independent system that they can appeal to so they're not going up the back of the line of management to the people they're dependent on within parties that there is somebody they can go to help and support and advice who will be on their side as you know we had problems a few years back and we've set up what we call a pastoral care officer system, tightened up the code of conduct, and I think it is better. I'm sure there are failings now, and we need to keep refreshing it. But to answer your original question, I think what women can reasonably expect is that individual parties and parliament as an institution have got much more robust systems. I mean, dealing with one case properly isn't the answer. You've got to have proper systems and you've got to reinforce it and make sure they're observed. And I know you spoke to the Women and Equality Committee, I think, this week, was it? Um, I know Dawn Butler, the Labour Party shadow minister, made headlines for saying they needed as many rubbish women as they needed rubbish men in Parliament, and that would be a sign of equality. That's kind of headline grabbing, but it's something that was echoed certainly with some of the Liberal Democrat campaigners on gender equality I spoke to who said the women they see who are interested in putting themselves forward as candidates are the absolutely most committed, most fantastically qualified people. The men they see putting themselves forward as candidates may be fantastic as well, but also the moderately interested. And how can we encourage a balance that the more of those women put themselves forward? Well, I think you're then getting away from the issues about protection against abuse towards the kind of deeper reasons why women or some women anyway don't push themselves forward for positions of responsibility I mean it was it was the problem we had when we were trying to make sure we had proper representation by women on the boards of British companies that it, 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 it isn't just a question of having a woman on the board it's building up a pipeline of people who are ambitious, who want to get to the top and want to see a way through. And the the obstacles there are, are things like somebody in their early 30s, very talented, ambitious woman, wanting to have a couple of children, so taking two or three years out from full-time employment, wanting to make sure that when she comes back she can go back at the same level or a higher level and not lose career progression. It means having proper maternity arrangements and shared parental leave. We did bring in legislation on that. 
I mean, it's a whole lot of things around families and relationships to make sure that women are fully treated equally. Simon. And it's an interesting conversation, and, and clearly for us there's lots of intersections between race and gender. I, I was at a, an event this morning where Dawn Butler spoke at a pre-budget seminar, and she talked about that, that it was black women that had seen the, some of the worst aspects of, of austerity. So the race penalty was compounded by a race gender penalty. And, you know, in regards to the abuse of power, in many ways, our first part of the conversation about, you know, changing the, the membership is all part of the change that needs to happen. That until you have that critical mass, until you have that cultural change, that we're not going to see men behaving radically different. I was interested to talk about some of the concrete actions that are being taken. I know that you have, for example, Operation Black Vote has an MP shadowing scheme, which I believe you're going to be taking part in, Vince, I understood. Yeah, was I met the young man last week from Mossad in Manchester came along to see me and we're starting working with him. And uh, yeah, I look forward to it. You know, uh, so, so how long is he shadowing you for? What's the, what's the process? It's not a very intensive relationship. I think he comes for five sessions, something like that. But, um, you know, I'd like to have a succession of, of such appointments. We've got to do what we can to get people inside and mentor them properly and give them encouragement and so that they see what's happening. I mean, the, 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 the young guy who's coming to work with me, um, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, to be, to be fair to Vince, he's the only leader that has, that has put his hand up to be part of this uh, uh, NP shadowing scheme. And the thing is, as well, is, is that we want these young men and women to get a flavour and to be with a leader. Imagine, imagine the, that experience. You know, it's, it's, it's fantastic. But the real work is actually done not with Vince, but with us. We train them on policy, on media, on communities, on networking. So they get a flavour, and I'm sure Vince will take take him to events and talk to him and build that network to nurture. But the real work is done in the classroom, if you like. Look, it's not rocket science. If you want to nurture more women, nurture more black and minority communities, have a plan. Give them the tools, give them the experience, and you will see them go from A to Z. I guess the reason why someone like myself hasn't given up, and Vince in politics, because he cares, because we care. We care about you know, our society, we care about our communities. And I won't give up on Vince, I won't give up on the Liberal Democrat Party because I think they have a lot to offer, but I am frustrated. And I, I do hope in this reincarnation, Vince, that I, I want you not to ask for change within your party, but to demand it, because it's absolutely the right thing to do, not just for the party, not just for society, but for democracy. And, and what I have seen is that a man of similar age to you, Jeremy Corbyn, has taught the talk and walked the walk in regards to going into the black communities and saying, look, I'm listening and I'm doing, and they have responded. I'm sure Vince can do it too. Yeah, I, well, I share the frustration, and I'm very happy to do that. If you open some doors for me, I will be very happy to walk through them. <laughs> On the forums where I've been talking to people ahead of this podcast, I, I found it really interesting. I talked to the Campaign for Gender Balance, um, and they run 
really successful programs for women in the Lib Dems, mentoring them and encouraging them to for selection and candidacy at local and national elections. And they told me they're starting a program with um, ethnic minority Liberal Democrats as well to do the same thing. But also just the hunger from other members, you know, at local level saying, you know, we want to do this. Does anyone have any guidance is the usual cry. <laughs> I, I want to reinforce one thing where perhaps Simon and I haven't struck the same note. It, it is very important to, for us to succeed as a party because when I meet um, young black men and women yeah. who are wanting to make a path in our party, mm -hmm. th th for them what matters is that the sky's the limit. Right. And they, they want to know that they're in an organisation that's going to succeed. They don't want to be kind of valiant soldiers in a losing battle. And they want to be, they want to think in 20 years time, I can be at the top helping to run well, the country. And I've got to get the party to a success where we are successful in that way, as well as making sure that we're properly diverse. Well, yes and no. Yes, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yes, yes and yes and no. Come on, who would have believed that Jeremy Corbyn was a winning ticket a year or so ago? Come on. No, so it could change fast. So it can change fast, and and it it changes when it changes when you you consume your principles and communicate your vision to to people that that have that are outsiders, if you like, that have not been listened to, that want a place, that want a space, and that for me, it's not about well, you know, we're a guaranteed winning ticket. No, look, you might say we might be a losing ticket right now, but with you. Yes, well, that's exactly the matter. So I think that's where we come together. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Liberated. If you enjoyed the conversation, please do rate, review and share it wherever you listen to podcasts. It'll help other people find the show. As you heard, we're also putting your questions to Vince. So please do check our Facebook page and look for posts on other Liberal Democrat sites where we'll be letting you know what topic we want questions on next. We're at Liberated Pod on Twitter and Liberated Podcast on Facebook. Thanks to Simon Woolley for joining the conversation and to Mark Pack and Benjamin Leal for their invaluable support making this series. <laughs> <laughs>